turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Tuesday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering questions, Bible questions, life questions, church questions. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585 if you are outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. We always want you to remember that if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. Everything else will be hands-free, and you'll be connected directly to the studio producer. Well, since it's Tuesday, we don't have anything to announce or to talk about, so let me get right to some questions. Here is one from Sandy. On The, the first two questions are, are follow-up questions from yesterday's program. This one is from Sandy from our email inbox. Pastor Ron, thank you for the answer yesterday about Andrew Womack. One more question. I received a Joseph Prince email this morning. It referenced Luke 8.12, and the context was about physical healing. Joseph Prince said the word used for saved in the original Greek is the word sozo, which means to save one from injury or peril, to save a suffering one from perishing, for example, uh, suffering one suffering from disease, to make well, heal, restore to health. Again, this seems like prosperity preaching, and I want to equip myself to speak to family members. I just want to say that I've learned so much from your teaching, and I'm excited to study God's Word. Oh, that's absolutely wonderful to hear, Sandy. And there's nothing as exciting as, as the Word of God. Just nothing is exciting. Uh, a couple of things. Luke chapter 8, verse 12. Let me read it for the audience here. Um, Jesus said, those along the path are the ones who hear. And this is in the parable of the sower. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Now, the word sozo is correct. Joseph Prince is right about that. But this has absolutely nothing to do with physical healing. Uh, the context determines exactly what the intent of the word is. And, and, and the context of the word here is that the word will be stripped from their hearts so they will not believe and then be saved. Saved from what? Saved from their sins. Saved from hell. So uh, Joseph Prince, um, he is uh, probably worse than Andrew Womack. So what I would ask you to do is uh, ignore Anything and everything that uh, that these guys would say, get off of their mailing lists. Um, uh, they're 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 pretty insistent, but get off of their mailing list. And um, uh, I've listened to Joseph Prince in the past twist things so far out of context that it just is painful for me. 
And unfortunately, the audience that uh, Joseph Prince and Andrew Womack has, that's what they're coming for. It is, if you think about it, it is so carnal in motive. It's just about me, what God can do for me. And that's what prosperity and health and wealth preaching really is. Um, uh, I love that you're, you're learning from what I'm doing, uh, whether it's teaching and being here on the radio program. But just keep your nose in the Word of God and let the Holy Spirit have a blast with you. You know, and this is a silly thing, but I don't have any waiting on the on the call. I remember as a very, very young kid, we moved from one house in Pomona, California to another one. And and I was young. I was five, six years old. And I remember getting into the new neighborhood. And, uh, um, you know, I, I wasn't going to go out and knock on doors and try to find friends. I mean, I wasn't that comfortable in the new neighborhood yet. And um, my mom... Um, one day she took me to the door, said, don't come back until you've got a friend. And so I went and knocked on a guy's house and I said, uh, his mom answered the door. I said, do you have any children who would play with me? And uh, I use that illustration um, uh, because um, that's what the Holy Spirit is doing with you right now. Your heart is open you want to hear God's word. You want to know what's true. And it's just like the Holy Spirit's knocking on the door of your heart every morning and saying, hey, you want to come and play with me? And it will be nothing as exciting, Sandy, as this time in your life. It is, it's a time that you will treasure. And as you grow in the Lord and his ministry concerns come into play and other things, it's a time that you'll never have again. Uh, I so missed that time. My life was so messed up that I had time and I would spend 10, literally, and no exaggeration here, 10 to 12 hours a day uh, in in theological libraries. Just I wanted to, I couldn't get enough. And um, I missed that time. You know, now that my eyes are gone, I, I, I wish I could read and study like I used to and I can't. And I miss it so much. All of that to say this, Sandy, uh, treasure this time you have. It's the Holy Spirit who has so much that he wants to share with you. Thank you for the nice comment. Here is a question from our mobile app. This one is also a response, a follow-up to yesterday. It's from Lynette. She says, the Second Peter 2, verses 4 through 9, mean that after the rapture, there will only be non-believers on earth to experience God's wrath. Lynette, um, that's, that, that's not the intent of Second Peter um, 2. Uh, those verses 4 through 9, uh, it's an example of he rescued Lot, a righteous man. The, 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 the judgment at Sodom and Gomorrah couldn't take place until he was out here. So it's certainly what is meant by that. But uh, one of the things we have to remember about the nature of the judgment uh, of uh, the, the Great Tribulation, um, by definition, when the rapture happens, there will be nothing but non-believers. The only way to escape the wrath is to be a born-again believer. Jesus said to his disciples, pray that you'd be counted worthy to escape these things. And of course, the only way we can be worthy to escape them is by asking Jesus to be Lord, our Lord and Savior. So Lynette, what's going to happen? The minute the rapture of the church happens and Christians are gone, uh, by definition, there's only going to be unbelievers left. Now, here's the good news. Um, in the Great Tribulation, uh, after the rapture of the church, the Holy Spirit is still going to be at work, and the work that he is going to be about uh, is that work of, of convicting the world of sin and righteousness and judgment, leading people to Jesus Christ, and it will be the greatest revival in the history of the world. Now, compared to the whole of the population of the earth that's under the judgment of God, it's going to be a relatively few people, but it will still be um, millions of people who will get saved during the Great Tribulation. Uh, they will, all of them, Lynette, die for their profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Um, you see them under the altar uh, in chapter 5 of Revelation. How long, O God, do you avenge our our our, our souls? And, and uh, God tells them, be patient just a little while longer. And that's when the judgments of the Great Tribulation begin to be poured out. 
But uh, people will still get saved. But that moment the rapture happens, everybody who is a believer, even a backslidden believer, everybody who's a born-again Christian is going to be taken from this earth. Uh, The people left behind, by definition, they will all be unbelievers. And it will be a frightening time. You know, Lynette, one of the things that we have a hard time dealing with um, when when we, we think about this is uh, we just think about all of the the, hope, the, the the nice people, the good people that are going to be left behind. But that's what we have to realize. There are no good people. In our flesh is nothing good. Sin separates us from God. And that's what we need to remember always. So, yes, there will only be unbelievers left. And then as the Spirit begins to, to, to move through the ministry of Moses and Elijah at the Western Wall, and then uh, into a greater extent around the world, the ministry of the 144,000 Jewish evangelists, people are going to hear the gospel and they're going to get saved. Uh, it's just going to cost them their lives to do so. Good question. Thank you very, very much. Here's an anonymous a uh, question called into the studio. Uh, it says, I missed my Andrew Womack talk. Uh, what about Andrew Womack should I not listen to? Anonymous, you should listen to nothing Andrew Womack has to say. He is a prosperity teacher, a faith teacher, a heretic. Um, um, you know, I know I, I hurt people's feelings when I say those things. Most of these guys are charismatic and they're likable. Uh, but the truth is they're, 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 they're peddling poison. And Andrew Womack is um, a false teacher, a false prophet, um, and uh, I would hate to be him when he stands before the Lord. And that was a question. I didn't just start talking about Andrew Womack yesterday, Anonymous. Uh, It was a direct question that was called in by Sandy, who just sent another question in. So um, don't listen to anything. Don't read anything Andrew Womack has to say. Thank you for that one. Here is a question that comes in from Leo from our email inbox. Hello, Pastor Ron. I pray you're having a good day. Thank you, Leo. He says, I'm new in the Bible and have been trying to study the Old Testament. Needless to say, I'm struggling. He has three question marks there. I like that. I asked a friend, what is the purpose of reading the Bible? He stated the Bible is mainly about history and prophecy, how God chose a nation to be a light and through this nation's bloodline, he would send a savior to redeem and save his people. Could you say this was accurate? And then uh, I'll get to the next part of your question in a moment. Let me do this one first. Um, Leo, the, the Bible is, is all about Jesus. Uh, if, if you want to, to, to have the sort of the, the old Testament open up to you a little bit, um, just look for Jesus. Look for the prophecies about Jesus. He's on every page from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. It is all and only about Jesus. So uh, he said, that, that your friend said the Bible is mainly about history and prophecy. That's not true. Uh, it contains history. It contains prophecy, but it's neither a history book nor a prophecy-oriented book. Uh, it's a book about Jesus. It's about man being created perfectly in the image of God and sin entering the world and, and, and the plan of redemption to uh, to rescue us. And so the, the book is all and only about Jesus. Now, here's what I want to say to you, uh, Leo, about studying the Old Testament. Uh, don't give up. Don't give up. It, it's it's difficult. It's frustrating. There's no way that we you could possibly know um, um, what's going on in the world at that time. Uh, you won't have a chronological time frame to reference all the things that you're reading. But don't give up. See, this is where the Holy Spirit is doing a work in you that that you're not even aware of. Just turn the pages. Read it and read it, struggle through the boring stuff, the tedious stuff, but just read it, get an overview. Now, let me also suggest this. When you're studying, you should always be, and when I say studying, you're reading it, you're trying to understand it, you're new to the Bible. So when I say reading it, um, read, um, and I'll just, the way I I did it when I started, um, I would read Genesis and the Gospel of John together. And so every day I would read five chapters in Genesis and then five chapters in the Gospel of John. 
And and the idea there is just getting used to it. And you want to, to keep going back and forth because the New Testament is always going to be relevant. It's always going to be easier to understand, not simple, of course, but it's always going to be easier to understand. And you, you will, by going back and forth, you'll begin to develop a clearer picture of just how magnificent, how majestic the Bible really is, how it's. 40 book or 66 books written by 40 authors over a period of about 1500 years and and it's a completely cohesive book it can only be written by God and so you're in that place where you just need to turn the pages and get used to it i also uh, leo i used to tell people and again this is what i did uh, i i always right here on my desk right now is a yellow legal pad with a pen sitting and i always had that sitting next to me when I was reading the Bible. And when I read something that I just didn't understand, I'd make a note of it. Chapter, verse, what my question is about it, and I'd just make a note of it. I wouldn't necessarily dig in to try to find the answer right then, but it's amazing how often through the course of my reading, God would give me the answers to the questions that I had on my yellow legal pad. So just bathe yourself in the Word. Um, um, develop a, an appetite for it. My appetite was voracious. And, uh, you know, when when you're, you're interested and curious, you're going to keep digging in and it'll be absolutely a wonderful experience for you. So um, you want to know what the Bible is about? It's Jesus. The Old Testament is about Jesus. Look for him in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we're looking back at the cross and we're seeing what Jesus has done for us. Great, great question. Now, the second part of your question is, could you also explain what is the purpose of this war in Ukraine and Russia? I do not understand its purpose. And is this anywhere in prophecy? And thank you for responding. Uh, Leo, um, when you say what is its purpose, there's no biblical purpose for it. Uh, there's been wars throughout the history of the world that have no purpose. It's just sinful, evil, power-hungry man uh, wanting to uh, uh, beat down those who disagree with them. And, and wars have always happened. So if by purpose you mean, well, is, does this play into the end times or did God cause this war? He didn't cause this war. Now, I personally think, and this is just my opinion, and my opinion, uh, Leo, is no better than anybody else's. But it's my opinion that the revival of Russia, we've got a, a leader in Russia now who wants to resurrect the USSR. Um, he believes it's his purpose given by God on this earth to to restore Russia to its horrible prominence, um, uh, to, to rule the world, uh, spread communism. And, um, um, you know, it wasn't too long ago um, that Russia was seemingly sort of a minor player among the major players. I hope that makes sense. Um, but but now him coming back into power and him having this uh, ambition, uh, I think Russia coming back onto the world scene in this particular instance uh, is a precursor to the war uh, that we're going to see uh, uh, attack on Israel, Gog and Magog from Ezekiel 38 and 39. I think this is just sort of putting all of the players in place, which would mean, Leo, that Jesus is coming back soon. Now, how soon? Uh, nobody has any way of knowing, but he's putting the players into place. There's all kinds of other signs out there that, that this is true. Um, um, the falling away, the great apostasy, the, 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 the deserting the word of God as being the word of God, uh, the deceiving spirits that are out in this world uh, as, as never before in my lifetime, and I've lived a pretty long time. Um, to, to see these things, just it's, it's sort of like uh, Jesus is setting the table for dinner. And pretty soon he's going to call us to dinner. And the world is going to be left to deal with the terror that will ensue. So um, um, I, I think that's its purpose. Uh, but remember, God doesn't cause this. 
uh, God is just raising people up. In the Great Tribulation, Leo, there are people who uh, will uh, be used by God to start wars, uh, de de demonic spirits and, and uh, world leaders. Um, that's just the way we are. And so that's the case. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Let's go to Alan holding on line one. Alan, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Aaron. How are you doing? Alan, I'm, I'm doing the, good. Alan, How are you doing? Well, I, I know several people called Alan. They call you, so I don't know if you know <laughs> if I'm the right one. But <laughs> Yep, I, I, know, I know your voice by now, Alan. Thank you. Oh, thanks a lot. Thanks. I appreciate that. I, yeah, I had a, a question for a long time uh, that I wanted to ask you. It's Mark. It's Mark uh, uh, 9, uh, verse 38 through 41, and it's, it's not that complex. You know, it, it's, it's a new, this is a New King James Version I'm looking at, and it says, Jesus forbids sectarianism. And it's the section where, where the disciples see, um, they say, Master, we found someone else preaching your gospel, and we forbade him, and... Uh, we uh, and, and he's preaching the gospel, and Jesus said, "Do not forbid him, uh, for whoever is uh, for, for whoever is um, is not against us is on our side." So, but the the subtitle is that Jesus forget forbid sectarianism. That's my first question: Is it, could it really be true that it means that? And then, which says, "Whoever is not against us is for us." And so, how would that apply to maybe? Uh, other sects, like maybe uh, Catholics or uh, other uh, uh, sects, like uh, and um, does that kind of do I? Is that kind of clear? Do I make the question sure. kind of clear like that? Yep, you made it very clear, Alan. Thank you very, very much. A uh, couple of things. One, um, uh, the, the 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 subtitles in your Bibles are not divinely inspired. They're written by men, and this has nothing to do with sectarianism. Now, you could make an application. You know, we get questions from time to time. Well, well, if the Bible is the Word of God and we all have the Holy Spirit, why are there so many different denominations and so many different uh, approaches to, to the way we do church and those kind of things? Um, um, th this, is about, this is about love. This is about advancing the kingdom of God. And... Um, we certainly don't want to judge people who do things differently than we do, but um, just sort of don't pay attention to those subtitles, those those headings, uh, because it's it's just somebody's interpretation, and um, that's really not what's true. Now, what what Jesus is saying here is he's dealing with John's heart. Um, he and his brother are out, and remember they're the sons of thunder. And uh, they're a little protective of Jesus. Hey, we saw somebody driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. And Jesus basically says, don't stop him. Don't stop him. Just because he's not one of us doesn't mean that he's for us, and that's what he's saying. So, Alan, um, there are a lot of different ways of approaching churches. Now, the Bible's given us a, 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 a model, Acts chapter 2 church, um, so we have a model for how to do church, but there are people that are going to do things differently. And because they have a different approach, the application for us would be don't diminish their love for God. Don't diminish the work that God is doing through them just because it's being done differently than the way we are doing it or the way we would do it if they ask us. And Jesus basically says, don't stop him. And as we remember that, it's... It's uh, just God works through different people in different ways. And uh, we can get a little bit protective of Jesus. And Jesus is telling John, look, I got myself. You don't have to worry about protecting me. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. You know, the same thing happened in the Old Testament uh, when, when some, uh, the Holy Spirit fell on some men outside the, the, the tent of meeting where Moses was. And uh, they were telling them to stop. What do you want us to do? They're 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 prophesying, and most said would that they all prophesy. So as as God is working uh, in people or through people, just because it's different than the way we would have Him work through them, we don't need to push Him away. Thank you, Ellen. Sorry for the break. I had to cough. 
340-9585 for your live calls and questions, and we'd love to have them. Alan, it was good to see you. Uh, last time I saw you, good that you were, you looked like you were feeling a little bit better. Thanks very, very much. Here's a question from Anonymous. How long have I got? Two. Two minutes. Okay, I'm going to go to another question. I'll do that at the top of the break. Uh, Gary says, I'm trying to defend the reality of hell to someone who doesn't believe God would send people to hell. Can you help? Uh, yeah, Gary, I'd just tell him to read the Bible. Jesus spoke about hell and eternal torment and punishment more than anybody else in the Bible. So uh, what I would tell people like that, Gary, is, look, you can't change who God is because you're uncomfortable with something. And this is a person who hasn't really considered the holiness of God. The other thing that we don't consider, Gary, when it comes to questions like this, is we don't care consider the utter sinfulness of sin. You know, we look at sin, and well, it's not a big deal, it's not that bad, and usually that's a sin that we're guilty of. And so we think, well, well why should I go to hell for that? Nobody goes to hell because they sin. We go to hell because we didn't accept God's answer for sin, and that's, of course, the person of Jesus Christ. So that's what I tell me. People say that it's an emotional, um, almost dishonest, intellectually dishonest response. Thank you, Gary. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Caesar, you're holding on line two. We'll get you right after the break. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program, 340-9585. I got a little bounce in my step now because I just, on my, my computer screen, the, the temperature came up. It's 95 degrees right now. That's perfect. Paul and I are happy. If nobody else is, Paul and I are thrilled. Let's go to Caesar on line two from San Antonio. Caesar, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. Um, I just want to say thank you. I'm super appreciative of your answer on uh, tithing last week. Uh, you explained it very well. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Okay, so my question is about Mark 3.21 and 3.00. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, 3.31. Um, 321, it says when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, but they said he is out of his mind. This is when Jesus was preaching and the disciples were not even able to eat. Mm -hmm. Um, 331, it says, then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone to call him. So my question is, if Mary was visited by the angel and she knew that he was the Messiah of the Jews, like, why did she seem to doubt him and think he was crazy later in his, in his life? Thank you for your answer, sir. (laughs) Thank you, Caesar. That's a great question. Uh, we're we're actually in the Gospel of Mark, so this is is pretty fresh in my mind right now. Um, uh, one of the things we have to understand: the, the same question comes up with John the Baptist, who was Jesus's cousin, and John looked at uh, is is he the one, or should we should we wait for somebody else? Well, well, John knew who Jesus was. He baptized him. Um, but but sometimes life's circumstances. When things don't turn out the way that we thought thought they would, um, especially over a long period of time. Now, remember, uh, Mary was told who Jesus was, uh, and this is now more than thirty years later. And uh, you know, she grows up with this to, to, to Mary. It's just her son. Uh, we know that she forgot um, uh, when Jesus was twelve, and and he said, "Don't you know I have to be about my father's business." So life sometimes just takes over and makes us forget spiritual truths. And while Mary would treasure these things in her heart, and she really knew, when the pressure started coming from the family. Now, I personally believe that that pressure was motivated by James, the Lord's half-brother, who we have a, a, a book, uh, the Bible, his his epistle. Um, he was the next oldest, and, and when, when the father died, the, the responsibility to care for the family would fall upon the oldest son. Well, that would be Jesus. And Jesus was sort of out there, not available to the family. 
And not only that, but Jesus was causing all sorts of unwanted attention to come on the family. So it would be very uncomfortable. And I would imagine that James and his brothers and sisters would say, we have to do something about this. We have to do something about this. And and she probably went reluctantly. But we, we, we have to really give these people a break because it's easy when you're looking at circumstances. It's easy to forget the promises of God. It happens to us all the time, Caesar. And that was exactly what was going on here. The thing that, that from my perspective, is the most important about this particular story is that Jesus, with a large crowd in front of him, uh, your mother and your brother and your sisters are here. And, and what uh, what Jesus said, he pointed to the people who were before him listening to his teaching. And he said, who are my mother and my brother and my sisters, but those who do the will of God. And Jesus was establishing that we have to make serving him. We have to make serving him the priority in our lives. And Jesus, being about his father's business, was more important even than the things that his family was saying about him or against him. You know, Caesar, sometimes we get saved, we get excited about what God wants to do. And then when we do that, um, you know, people criticize us, sometimes even our own family. And uh, the whole point of this story is uh, we've got to stay faithful to what God said first. Let's go to Lucy from Universal City on line two. Lucy, I know who you are. Thanks for calling. It's me, Pastor Ron. You're right. Hey, um, good afternoon, and thank you for being on the air. Um, look, uh, I pray that this weather stays just like this. This is very nice. I don't want it to get any hotter, but maybe <laughs> we can find a middle ground. Um, okay, 90, okay, 93 is the middle ground. <laughs> I have a question. <laughs> Perhaps uh, you could clarify something for me. Um, I have a friend that comes from one of those name it and claim it uh, places. And mm-hmm. uh, she was talking about someone that she thinks has the spirit of Jezebel. And yeah. I I was trying to explain that, you know, well, according to the Bible, that that's not quite right. But uh, there is a correction that um, that is made to one of the churches uh, about mm-hmm. Jezebel and how that is not the right uh, uh, permission that they give her to just have free reign and false doctrine. Can you clarify what it means to for that particular church correction? And is it in Revelation uh, where uh, where uh, the church is being corrected? And uh, yes. what's the difference? Like when they say, "Oh, that that has that church has a spirit of Jezebel," or well, uh, yeah, I it, don't want to mumble, keep mumbling, but um, but do you understand my question the way I, I yes, phrased I, it? Yeah, I, I've got it, Lucy. I've got it. Thank you okay. very, very much. Uh, in, in Revelation, it says you tolerate that woman, Jezebel. And um, um, there, there's, there, there's no way of knowing who, if that's a, a literal woman uh, that Jesus is talking about, or the spirit that was behind the Jezebel. Now, Jezebel is the, the, the worst woman in the, the, the Old Testament. I mean, she's just horrible, horrible, horrible. And um, the Jezebel in the letter to the churches in Revelation was, was a, a, a woman who was saying, basically, it's okay to sin. It's okay to sin sexually. Uh, God's okay with this. And she was misleading people. Now, whether it was a, a person or just this general tenor spirit of the church, we don't know for sure. That's what I favor, Lucy, in my um, my commentary. Uh, I feel like it's it's simply he was addressing the spirit, and it was the spirit of Jezebel, that immoral spirit that the church was tolerating, and Jesus corrected them. Now, when you see the, the name it and claim it people, the, the prosperity churches, when they talk about a spirit of Jezebel, it's a completely different thing. Anybody who would say, for instance, what I'm saying now, uh, now if, if I was a woman 
They would say, oh, you're Jezebel. You've got the Jezebel spirit. There's no such thing as Jezebel spirit. They're simply saying, uh, if you disagree with me, you've got this Jezebel spirit. And and they tolerate, uh, don't touch God's anointed kind of thing. They tolerate, don't tolerate uh, any dissent at all. And the minute you say something or ask even an honest question, their response is going to be, oh, you've got a Jezebel spirit, meaning you are rebellious. There's no hope for you, that kind of thing. So that's the difference. They use it incorrectly. Jesus, of course, in the letter to the church, was talking about a spirit that allows and even promotes sexual immorality and represents it as being okay with God. Now, in that sense, Lucy, that spirit of Jezebel is currently active and strong in many, many, many churches. So, good question. Thank you, Lucy, very, very much. Let's go to Matthew on line three. Matthew, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Yeah, you're welcome, Pastor Ron. It's 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 worth the wait. Um, I just want to thank you very much again for taking my call. Uh, Thanks. I just want you to clarify family curses. I'm not speaking this from person personal, but it is a concern uh, because I do hear it a lot in some sermons, and and it's just like like let's just say my great great grandfather was whatever uh, bad, you know, done some really really bad, and let's say it kind of went down a couple generations. It's a generational curse is what it is. Yes. And I'm just, I'm very confused on that. Um, I guess I could say it is kind of personal because I, I do have a concern that I, I don't want to pass that on with my family because uh, I am the head of the household. I do have uh, a child. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want any anything to be bur- burdensome on my family. Um, I'm trying to raise my my my. Oh, that's my son. Uh, as, yes. You know, in the true admiration of the Lord and and everything like that. But I just how is there a way you can cut it off? Or I mean, what? I, I just yeah. clarify it for me, please, uh, Pastor Ron. Yeah, and I, I'll I can do that after. The, I'll listen to it off. Thank the, you. Off the air. There we go. Thank you very much. Thank thank you, Matthew. Appreciate it very very much. Um, yeah, Matthew, the thing you have to realize about generational curses, and this is horrible teaching. Again, these are going to be overly charismatic and most often faith and prosperity churches. Uh, generational curses, as they proclaim them, don't exist. Second Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. First John, he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. So generational curses is simply um, a, a way for them to teach that what you're doing is not your fault. It's somebody in your, your family line. Uh, your, your mother was a witch or your, your father uh, sought fortune tellers or your father was involved in some demeaning sexual activity and you've got that curse or your father was an alcoholic. And, and, and so they, they, they're basically saying that you're not responsible for your sin, that they are responsible for your sin. But here's the thing we need to understand. They're taking this out of the, the, the book of Exodus, chapter 20. And they never, ever read what it says. He's talking about generational curses. And the curse there is uh, when behavior doesn't change. You know, uh, somebody um, um, is raised in an alcoholic home. Often they become alcoholics. It's not because of a curse. It's just because of learned behavior. And what it says is that God shows mercy to those who love him. To a thousand generations. But to those who hate him. He curses. To the fourth and the fifth generation. But that's not a curse. A generational curse. That's simply. um, A a Jewish poetic way of saying. God's love is infinite. For those who love him. And because you love God. And he is so thrilled with your heart. Matthew this is I think the second time you called. About a question. You want to be a good leader. You're taking it so seriously. That. um, God is so pleased with your heart. So you don't have to worry. This is like. Um, praying against pink elephants. There's no such thing as a pink elephant. Well, there's no such thing as a generational curse. The curse that we're all condemned with is the curse of sin. 
Jesus is the answer for sin. And once we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're impervious to that curse. And these false teachers use this, scare people to death, and then they sell them books or they sell them um, formulas. If you'll just give us some money, we'll tell you how to escape the generational curse. There's no such thing, and it is such a prevalent teaching, false teaching, but boy, there is a lot of it going around, and the result is just as you were, it it concerns people. Uh, God does not curse us. Repeatedly in the Old Testament, he says, I will not punish the sons for the sins of the father, but they will be punished for their own sins. And so there's no such thing as a generational curse, Matthew. So this will give you a lot of relief. You'll never have to worry about this again. There's no such thing. And if you are listening to pastors, Bible teachers online or wherever else, even at your church, if they're teaching that stuff, then you're in a really horribly unbalanced, unbiblical church. And you need to find another church. Thank you, Matthew. God bless you. And again, I want you to know how pleased God is with your heart. Uh, You want to rightly represent him. Here is a question from, it's anonymous, um, and, and Paul, I know you're listening, so I want you to kind of deal with this on Thursday, if you would. Uh, the question is, my house is messy, and my husband has a huge problem with it. I just can't seem to fix it, and it's causing problems in my marriage. I think my husband is asking too much. What do you think? Now, anonymous, what I'm going to say is that that it's your responsibility Get some help with your your husband. Get some help with kids, if that's the case. But your responsibility is to have a home, a home that's clean and neat and orderly. You know, a, a messy house. I know women have a lot of things going. If they're the ones responsible for the kids and they're at home, there's a lot of things going. But remember, it's Jesus' house. And your husband is the spiritual head of the house. And if he's asking you to keep the house clean, he's not asking too much at all. Now, if I was your husband, what I would do, and I did this forever, not because Paula didn't clean. Paula, uh, I don't know anybody as clean a freak as me. Paula's close. So that's, that's not the issue. But Paula had allergy issues. And so what I did is I cleaned the house. I cleaned the bathrooms. I'm the one that did all the, 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 the stuff, all the, mixed all the chemicals, um, because I want it to be clean. Now we don't have time to do that, but, but we, our house is spotless, and it's only hard the first time. So here's what I would say. If you came to our church, Anonymous, here's what I would say. Let me put together a cleaning crew. And we'll go over there and we'll fix this house and make it just beautiful. And then it'll be easier to keep it up. And surprise your husband with it. Because if you'll do that, you'll be showing him how much you love him. So I hope that helps. And I'm going to have Paul address that because she can speak to that uh, from a lady's perspective better than I can. Let's go to um another Matthew online one from Civilo. Matthew, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey Pastor Ron, how you doing? Just get off of work. Just Good, Matthew. Uh yeah, I, I was um we were talking uh it's been a lot, I guess the theme has been about the prosperity preaching and I had a conversation with my family member, a professing Christian, who goes to a prosperity church and I told you before that my wife and I came from a prosperity church and uh so sometimes mm-hmm. we got to get reconfigured, right? <laughs> but uh, with that said, you've you kind of been already been hearing about the whole Hillsong worship and or the Hillsong uh, church and how uh, you know pastors and churches are leaving um, that Hillsong. I was going to ask, you know, when I was having a conversation with a family member who was coming from Prosperity Preaching, and uh, he kind of got a little adamant with me, or um, kind of. Just not disrespectful, but he was trying to defend it uh, the prosperity way, and and um, and he told me he was like, "You're not a pastor. You've never been called to be a pastor. You can't be telling me stuff like this. Only pastors can." Um, so my question to you is, how can we, you know, nicely tell people about the prosperity preaching, and and uh, how would you be able to articulate that conversation with not, you know, maybe not coming off as uh, maybe too strong? But I'll I'll get off and I'll let you have, yeah. answer that question. 
Thank you. Thank you, Matthew. You know, first, first, let me say this. I wouldn't worry about coming off too strong. Uh, you know, the the wonderful thing about Jesus and our, our relationship as, as a peculiar people, a chosen people, a holy priesthood, one of, our, one of the great benefits of that is that we all have access to his word. And anything that conflicts with the word of God is a lie. It's a false teaching and needs to be called out and dealt with. Now, we don't want to be in people's faces. And the purpose of ministry is not to not to point fingers out at people. But we have to stand for the truth. And what I would do in that, that situation is I would tell them. I would tell them to read their Bibles. They're missing out. And then you've done what you're responsible to do. At some point, they've got to take the initiative to find out if what you're saying is true or what their pastor is saying is true. Now, let me say very clearly that all this prosperity, name it and claim it, junk that's being taught is a lie. And if your family members would just look at their church and look at all of the poor people, I mean, these people are being sold false hope. And I think false hope is worse than no hope at all. I mean, no hope is about as low as it gets. I think false hope is worse. And if they'll look around, all they can see is, well, you know, these promises of God that we're told about aren't working. And they'd see a lot of poor people. And in fact, most of the time, they're going to see that the only one getting rich in the church is the pastor of the church who's fleecing the flock with his false teaching. So, Matthew, be very direct with them. And if they don't want to hear it, then don't tell them you've done your part. But it's so easy. I can take these guys. I had two questions uh, about Andrew Womack, one yesterday and one today. Um, um, uh, I get questions about people all the time. And all you have to do is I could I could take any one of these guys and listen to any five minutes. You could go on YouTube and you could uh, just just start it in the middle, start at the end, start at the beginning, doesn't matter, and, and pick any five minutes and you're going to find all kinds of heresy. The reason they don't want to hear you, Matthew, is because they want God to be that way. Quick story. Uh, when I got saved, and I've shared this before, I, I, I was I, I just couldn't get enough church. And um, I was going to some churches that were really, really bad churches, prosperity churches. And uh, I just, I knew something wasn't right, but I wasn't, I didn't know enough to know what wasn't right. I just knew it wasn't right. And I remember I'd listen to somebody who was teaching the word and, and they would say something bad about one of the prosperity teachers that I was listening to. And, and, and then I'd go try to find out well, what's wrong with what they said. And uh, I remember getting to a point where one day, uh, and, and my problem, Matthew, was money. I needed money desperately. I'd lost everything uh, and my life was a, a disaster. And and I got to the place where I said, Jesus Whoever you are, I want to know who you are. And if you reveal to me what's true, if you reveal to me who you really are, then that's the Jesus I'll serve. Now, I would say to him, now I want you to be the Jesus who wants me to be rich, but I want to know you. And the Lord showed me. Um, I heard a teaching, a false teaching on Galatians 3.13, and I knew We've been redeemed from the curse of the law. The curse of the law was poverty. I could prove that. That was some great, Lord, you answered my prayer. And then I found out that God wasn't who they were saying he was at all. And um, if you don't want to meet the real Jesus, then you'll make a Jesus, a golden calf Jesus, um, a Jesus of your own making. So I think that's important. Let me also say something very briefly. You mentioned Hillsong. Um, Hillsong, um, um, Matthew, uh, is a bad church. I mean, they, 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 they were great music and they, they were so popular worldwide and it could have been so much, but, but it was a prosperity kind of church and, um, uh, extravagant, improper use of the gifts. And whenever you see an out of control church, you're going to see a lot of flesh and wherever you see a lot of flesh, there's going to be all kinds of problems behind the scenes. And right now, uh, behind the scenes is now no longer behind the scenes and all of the things that were going on in the background in leadership are coming to the fore and uh, and, and Hillsong is paying a steep, steep price. Here's the last one of the day. This is an anonymous question from our mobile app. 
Uh, I have people asking if it's okay to go to Community Bible Church, CBC. I understand the lead pastor's name is Pastor Ed, but I've heard different opinions about his teaching of the Bible, some good, some bad. What are your thoughts on CBC and the teachings? Would you recommend this church to people asking if it's safe to attend? Um, this is a hard question for me. I have met uh, Ed uh, on, on three or four occasions, and he happens to be one of the nicest people I've ever met. I mean, he went out of his way to compliment me and, and just be over-the-top nice. He is a really, really nice man. I think the problem I have with CBC is its orientation as uh, what we would call, or what they call themselves up to a point, I don't know if they do anymore, but a secret church. Uh, it's like Joel Osteen in the sense that they don't want to say anything bad. They're there to encourage people. And, and, and the problem with that, of course, they're only giving them part of the truth. So I, I certainly don't think CBC is a church uh, where, where disciples are going to be made. I don't think the Bible's not being taught. Uh, Ed happens to be exceptionally gifted. And just as I said, he was an exceptionally nice man. Um, he is a wonderful communicator. Um, I just don't like what he's communicating. Let me say this, Anonymous. I've had a bunch of people come to our church who were, and, and, and some live in my neighborhood, who are big fans of CBC. And they have been going to CBC for years and they do not know that it's wrong to be living with somebody you're not married to. That's problematic. So I don't think it's a, a, a church that I would recommend. On the other hand, uh, this can't be understood as personal in any way because uh, Ed is a just a, a really nice man. And I, I got the feeling that, that if I could have him over for dinner, we'd have a blast. We'd have a blast. Maybe we could talk about some of these things. Good question. Hey, thanks for calling today. Thanks for tuning into the program. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And we're done for today. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Morning.